Hi, I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Hey, I want your job. And this week, more than anybody else I have spoken to, I deeply wish that I had the raw moxie to have this job. I feel like if I could have Michaela's job, I would be a healthier person in my vision of self, in my willingness to share with the world, and a happier person because I think it seems like an insanely fun job. And also healthier because I feel like there's a lot of physical activity involved as opposed to the extreme ass sitting that my actual job involves. So, Michaela, what is your job title? Oh, well, I actually do think you could do my job and I think you'd be fabulous at it. So if you want my job, this is the- Hard no, hard no. (laughs) I'm a professional naked nerd. Um, I do everything from uh, cosplay sex work to um, costuming and burlesque. Um, I also work in uh, the stripper industry as well as the vaudeville and sideshow industry. So this, I think it's amazing. I have so many questions. I have so many thoughts. I have so much envy. I just so, so much, so much, Michaela. Wow. Oh my God. So we're going to start with some easy stuff. We're going to start. Okay. And then we'll go from there. We'll go. So. How did this start? How did did you like, at what point did you think, you know how I want to pay my rent? I think I'll take off my clothes for money. How did that happen? Um, Do you want the, the, the cliche version or the honest, (laughs) honest to God version? Honest to God version. I think my parents should have known I was going to be some kind of queer stripper when they caught me as a kid watching old movies like the Natalie Woods Gypsy um, or like Lady of Burlesque black and white films and me being like, I want to do that absolutely not absolutely (laughs) they should have seen it coming and they didn't knew so um I was always a theater kid um when I was a teenager when I came back to the states um because I also used to live part-time in England with my family um I would um bribe my way with my family of being like I will totally behave and wear these silly frilly gender normative outfits and do all the things and, and not act obviously gay in exchange for theater programs and my first summer job at the Renaissance Festival. And I met a bunch of carnies. They taught me how to eat fire. I was sneaking out and doing Rocky Horror Picture Show. I was doing community theater. And I was a theater major in college, despite my mother's uh, problems with that. Because in our family, women go to college to meet a husband and get a man. You were going for your MRS. Oh. <laughs> Jokes on them. <laughs> So I am so excited. So we have we have crossover in that regard. I too was once a Rocky Horror um, cast member. Oh um, my goodness! So I would say three guesses, but I think it is excruciatingly obvious who I would have had to have played. Like I feel like there's only one like even slight option for me. So like, are you? I, I feel like I, I'm getting magenta vibes. Obviously. I feel like you'd be a good Frank or Trixie. I'm old. 
So we didn't do as much of like the actual gender bending. Oh, irony with Rocky Horror. Like it tended to be dudes that played Frank and like chicks that played chicks. So no, totally magenta, totally magenta. I bet you were an amazing magenta. I really felt that way, but I was not always sober at the time. So, you know. <laughs> the, the honest truth about Rocky Horror Picture Show holder is no one's ever sober. The odds is done. The cast is done. It's fine. Yes. No, I, yeah, I loved it. Um, I, yeah, so we have that tiny piece of history in common. And now I am a boring, like, middle-class suburban housewife with two children you're and two boring. dogs. So. You're not boring at all. Says you. No, you have an awesome life. I like reading up about you. Um, you are yeah, so I, fabulous. Huh? You are so kind and fabulous. So... You parlayed life at a Ren fair and some Rocky Horror and high school drama into yep. now I get naked for money. I still feel like there's a jump there. Like, what was your first, like, what was the first time you incorporated the actual, like, nakedness, the sex play content, all of that into work? And, and was that empowering? Was that scary? Was that all of the above? Like, how did that go? It was. It was a combination of things. So I went this entire pre-done showbiz career trying to be an actor or a regular uh, regular entertainer, but I was constantly hearing, you're very talented. You're a very good performer. You're very disciplined. You're very skilled. You're a great actress, but you need to lose weight and get a nose job to be successful. Or if you want to move forward, you need to lose weight and get a nose job. And even as like a 16-year-old kid hearing that, the trauma it induces. So I had a horrible relationship with my body. And then one day community theater said, we're going to try a burlesque show and see how it goes. <laughs> so we did it. Um, and I was like, sure, why not? And I did it back in, I was fresh out of college and I did it. I went, oh, this is it. This, this is the combination of all the vintage old things I like, and I can do storytelling and character work still, but it still super feels good. And then from there on on, I just kept, stayed as an independent and kept like guesting with troops um, and moving from there. I also dabbled in some fetish industry work. Um, you know, I, I started uh, testing out things. Plus, you know, when you're just out of college, you're going to try the webcam life and see if you can pay your bills. <laughs> I did not. I went straight into HR, which is like the opposite oh, nice. of webcam life. Like, <laughs> It's still telling people like your feelings are valid. Like it's still... <laughs> I feel like you do not know me as an HR professional, if that's how you think that goes. <laughs> Here with me as an HR professional. Why are you telling me your feelings? Are you under the impression I'm your therapist? Because I am not. Go back to work. Good day, sir. <laughs> well, I mean, in sex work, you can still use that same tone. Like the Oh, for sure. Tone, it still sells. <laughs> I do, I do sometimes, I have clients who have suggested that I could have a very successful side hustle as a dominatrix. <laughs> do it. Do it, sis. <laughs> Good money. Do it. Um, so I was doing, uh, I was doing that nightlife entertainment. I was already a fire eater. I was already, you know, might as well blend everything together. And then I started producing my own shows too, because there was a lot of performers in Florida not getting opportunity because they weren't thin white girls. So... We were told we were unpolished despite being covered in rhinestones, um, <laughs> right? So we, I started producing my own shows, and then one of those shows I first produced, someone came into the audience for me, and they said, I saw my body on stage tonight, in you specifically, and I 
got permission to feel sexy. Thank you. And my brain just went, yes, the thing. And so that just rolled from there. Um, and I just kept going. I was like, well, there's my purpose. That's my thing. Let's just keep going with it as a plus size performer. Um, Cause I'm 220 pounds of fuck around and find out. And <laughs> uh, so I just kept doing it and uh, I kept putting, um, I got a lot of gigs at conventions and stuff. And cause I'm a nerd and cause I already was doing cosplay as a kid. Um, cause I was that weirdo that would go to midnight releases of Lord of the Rings and my parents be like, why are you wearing robes? What is wrong with you? So <laughs> I was the one sneaking out and going to Star Trek things. Um, <laughs> so it was just a perfect blend over. And then, um, I did strip club work for, um, for about five years. Uh, and then the great panini happened. So like over a decade later, here we are. So let's just jump in with the whole, like body image thing because you've mentioned it already a couple of times and it's such an issue right like I had this moment as a kid that like I was in a big like a professional theater program and they were like oh yeah she's really talented but she's a chubby kid right and this industry is mean and so either she's gonna have to live on lettuce leaves and saltines or she's going to have to get used to people telling her she's fat no matter what she does. And my parents were like, mm, I feel like maybe neither of these are healthy options. Bye, Felicia. My parents didn't make a lot of great decisions when I was a kid, but I feel like that one is. Like, that's, that's solid parenting point. right there. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, so that's been the case forever. Right now, Hollywood is really trying to convince us that, like, they're much more body positive and all of this is really changing. My sister made me watch American Idol the other night. And they were like, look, we have chubby girls. Don't you feel the love now? Um, talk to me about your experience as somebody actually working as a performer. Like, do you actually see change? Or do you see that you are the change and that you're a voice alone in the abyss? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Uh, I feel like I'm seeing change. Baby steps in a lot of entertainment industries, including burlesque, I still feel like e even here in, in Florida, we still have these all white, all thin burlesque shows happening. I feel like inclusivity is, is there with the visibility of the people who know, hi, this is how I identify. This is my here, like even um, everything from differently abled and disabled performers to indigenous performers are like, I'm purposely making sure I'm visible. Um, so the change within the communities that are marginalized, I'm definitely seeing change because uh, there's more push from people who want the inclusivity. Uh, but then I'm feeling, too, that there's just as equal pushback. Um, there's still, you know, producers out there that even though I've reached out to them and been like, hi, I've upgraded my costumes. You called me polished five or ten years ago, unpolished five, five or ten years ago. Here's my upgraded costumes. Here's my upgraded acts. Here's all the good I've done for the our industry and community. Um, here's my updated CV resume. And they're still like, hmm, you're just not what our venue is looking for. These phrases to other and make sure that they don't get in the door is still happening, unfortunately. But I do feel like there's still, if the audience wants it, why not put them on your stages? If the audience wants to see themselves represented on stage in sexy, naked bodies, why not? So I think it's it's more a failure on their part to not understand that those tickets will sell. <laughs> 
I think they're so scared of losing tickets that they don't think um, that they're, they're scared of not getting the tickets sold or upsetting their venues, but not realizing that those tickets will sell to people who look like you. So, so I follow a lot of people on the TikTok that are like, the tickety talk that are like, I'm fat and sexy and get over it. And the I, death theory, I do too. But one of the things that those influencers talk a lot about is the, how much, as much as they get equal parts of, oh my God, I love you. You make me feel like it's okay to be me. They get a lot of you're disgusting and shame on you. Right. Do you get both sides of that same coin as well? I do. Um, that's so also- personal for you because that, like, your job is taking off your clothes and feeling sexy. And see, I couldn't handle that. That's the part for me. I'd be like, nope, not going to happen. How do so- you handle those moments and keep being you? Um, actually, let's tackle it from you. Let's tackle that question from why you said nope for you because you couldn't handle that. Yep. So what I think is that when you're doing burlesque because it's empowering and it's a vulnerable art, even in regular sex work, it's still vulnerable and it's more about you and your journey. I think that that's something where you need to look at that you're doing it for you. They just get the pleasure. They just get the, not the pleasure, but the the honor of being in the same room with you while you're doing it. I think that it's more important about your storytelling and your act and your performance and how you feel about your body and everybody else just gets to bask in the glory of it. And I feel that that is something I would love to see people who want to dabble in the performance. So if you want to come over to the dark side, we do have cookies. Um, I'll be here waiting for you. Uh, so if you do, it's more about your journey and you're still going to get comments from the audience. I've been on stage and I've heard from the front row, oh, oh, she does this or, oh, and comments about my body while I'm on stage and hearing that I've had to, we do photos for at the end of shows with the audience sometimes. And I've been purposely stood in front of by a cis, well, I'm assuming is a cis male um, audience member and put his arms around the two thinner girls for their photos. Or I've had people go to me, oh, you're so brave. And then go to the next performer who is thinner than me or has a flat stomach um, and no stretch marks and look at them and go, oh my God, you're gorgeous. You're fabulous. Your act was so great. Da, 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 da. And I feel like there's still always going to be that othering until there's a shift societally, there's nothing I can do about it besides being obnoxiously vis- visible. <laughs> I'm just going to continue being here until you're you all can your all new of- tagline, obnoxiously visible. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, there's a whole reason why part of my brand is, is buy and bougie because I'm bougie and I'm in your face about it. And that's the only way I can think of things changing until society gets their shit together. <laughs> okay, I swear. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. So um, I I think that's amazing. But I and I love that we talk about how it's really empowering because I think this is really important that we have so much of the dialogue around sex work of all varietals comes from this like really puritanical place that talks about how you know it's degrading to women, it's putting women down. And you know, you have nothing but your body to sell. Isn't that sad? And I think that I love the fact that you're changing that script around and saying, this is totally empowering. Like, 
I'm getting up here and doing exactly what I felt like doing today. And y'all happen to be in the audience and you paid me to do it. Freaking, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's amazing. But talk to me a little bit about like, cause you must get that concern and pushback from people. You must have people trying to save you from a life of, <laughs> you know, sin and debauchery. Like how does, how do you help them understand that this is not downtrodden, sad lady. This is empowered. I'm here cause I want to be, and you're welcome. I get that more. I don't get as much in burlesque or vaudeville or the fire entertainment part of the industry. I get that more in the sex work industry and in the strip club. I get mm -hmm. a lot of Captain Save-A-Hose. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of Everybody's seen Pretty Woman one time too many. They all think they're Richard Gere. <laughs> right? Like, let me take you away from here. Don't you think you're better than this? And there's a lot of women who will be pearl clutchers and will be like, well, don't you have any self-value or self-worth? Yes, yeah. about $200 an hour, thanks. I get that a lot. And I always respond with, imagine having so much self-worth that I can take my body, my time, my energy, put a value, monetary value on it, and then make a profit margin and then add tax. Like, I have so much self-worth that I'm going to profit off of a system that is screaming against me. And I feel like it's... It really is little Kim fuck bitches make money. Um, <laughs> like, I, I feel like I have so much self-worth that I found a way to profit off of it. So is your problem with me or is your problem with the system that made women feel like we can't and the system that put us here? Um, like, all the time, I get, I get a lot of people, like, even... Um, uh, even relationships and jobs are kind of like, oh, well, you clearly don't value yourself. You're doing this for male attention. I said, I'm not doing this for the male attention. I don't, I'm queer. I don't want the male attention. I don't want to be perceived by males. <laughs> I, I would much prefer just to have their money. So it's really just putting a dollar amount on what my time and energy is worth and then profiting off of the rest. Um, so, and I think that it comes down to intersectional feminism 101, and everybody learns that some people value modesty in themselves, some people value, you know, um, echidism in themselves, and it's up to that person to decide what's best for them and their body, whereas you can't control what other people do with their bodies. I love that idea, that it's about, you know, what do you value about your body? And I think, like, for me, but I also think that there's a lesson there that, like, I was raised that the only thing that mattered was being the smartest person in the room, but hands down, kindness did not matter. Mm -mm. Physical attractiveness did not matter. Being oh. right and being the smartest person in the room were the two things that mattered in my household as a kid. And so as a result, I was a mega bitch who had no way to did not know how to express herself physically if that makes sense like mm -hmm. and had like still have thank god for therapy um but i have you know weird body issues and that kind of stuff because there was never I, my i don't believe my father ever in my entire life told me i was pretty mm -hmm. it, and that's not like you know oh you know sad panda but that's a weird thing for a girl especially 
I was told I was a lot of things, many of them positive by him, <laughs> many of them not, but never that I was pretty. And he didn't care if I was kind. If anything, for him, kindness was often weakness. And so I think that that's so interesting for me to hear you talking about like loving your body and, and valuing that because we as society right now, there's this whole discourse about stop telling girls they're pretty, stop telling girls that they're beautiful, stop telling girls to focus on the physical. And I can speak that there's an imbalance that can happen that way too. And you're saying, nah, screw it. Tell everybody to find what you love about you and then monetize the hell of it. Just lean in. You love right. your body. Great. You love your mind. Great. And I, I think that's just so interesting. I feel like the two truths can exist though. I feel like it's important that we tell, especially young girls or, 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 or even like young trans kids, any gender really, I feel like it's important that we tell them they, they can be both. I felt like when I was growing up, I could be pretty like my sister or I could be smart like my brother, but you know, they, I can never be both. And I feel like I am the stripper who took Harvard classes and I have a certificate from Harvard. I can be both. Um, I feel like uh, I definitely suffer from having to be the smartest person in the room all the time because coming from a background as a plus size kid, um, if I couldn't be pretty like my sister, I had to at least be able to shut down all the people telling me I'm not pretty. So I've, uh, <laughs> I have that mecha defense mechanism as well. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell people about themselves and it's something that I am also working on in therapy. <laughs> Therapy is a beautiful thing. Oh, so good. Um, there's a lot of crying. She does not laugh at my jokes, but I'm here and I'm paying you 125 an hour. Mine at least acknowledges that I'm funny. She's like, yes, Michelle, you're very funny, but you are not here to amuse me. I love that you get the validation but with the follow-up. Like, uh, mine does, mine, I get a lot of, what did we say about deflecting with jokes? Michaela. Just laugh at my jokes, Janet. It's not that hard. Oh, I'm no, very Janet, amusing. That's what I like. <laughs> but, oh, um, oh, yeah. Oh, therapy. So <laughs> I, I do recognize that and I relate to that on a very intimate level that we'll probably never go into in, in, in public forum. Um, but, but I do feel like another thing is women can be both. Um, burlesque and strip club work and sex work require a level of intelligence, in my opinion, that some people may not be able to achieve. Because when you're working in a strip club or working with clients in sex work or the fetish industry or even dominatrix work, or if you're working um, in showbiz, you have to be able to see when that person comes in the door um, if they're a safe person, figuring out if they are someone that you can profit off of. You have to figure out everything, gauge what fantasy you, they want you to sell to them you know, trying to figure out that fantasy while still maintaining a safe space and everything. That takes a lot of mental gymnastics. And I feel like that the concept that sex workers, strippers, any of those of us who get naked for money can't also be intelligent. It's so infuriating. I will um, tell you that some of the best um, hiring managers I've known for sales teams, straight up, the two people that they would most appreciate hiring, bodybuilders, like crazy, like super, like, you know, old school Schwarzenegger, like, you know, muscle competition guys 
and strippers because they're extremely goal oriented. They're good at focusing and strippers are also very financially motivated. And so like they make kick ass salespeople. What is difficult with strippers is really good strippers. It is hard as hell to compete with that money. So, I mean, that's a lot. So on that note, how do you handle it when people ask you how much you make? Um, honestly, I tell them it depends where I am and what I am and what, what, uh, other effects there are. Cause it's not stable income. A lot of people are thinking like, oh, you just make bank all the time and it's always going up and it's not. Um, the pandemic is a perfect example where everyone lost their job in a matter of weeks. We can have that kind of financial loss in a matter of 24 hours. A club, our favorite club can shut down. Uh, a club can decide that they don't take that, your body type anymore. Um, a burlesque show can stop touring, you know, because the headliner gets sick. Your job is never secure. Um, it's, it definitely is a hard to answer in general. Like there's nights where I can walk in, I can make, you know, $500 for just an hour's worth of work. Or I can, there's nights where I go home losing money because I either had to get gas to go to the gig or if I'm working in a strip club, I have to pay house fees. A lot of things people don't know is most times in any form of sex work, you pay to work. It's like being a salon stylist where you pay a booth rental. Um, so like if you go to a strip club tonight, you know that the three girls you're seeing are probably paying $45 to work from seven to two as their fee. Plus they have to tip the DJ out to not play crappy music on purpose against them. They have to tip the security guard out to make sure that they get to the door to, to their car safe because there's always a customer in the, in the parking lot waiting to kill someone or worse. Um, and you have to tip out the bartender for making sure that your drinks are clean and you have to tip out the house mom and the managers for making sure it's okay for you to work. So there's times where if, let's say if you're working at a certain strip club and you make 300 that night, you're really only walking away with hundred, you know, you have to figure out. And then if you do private dances, there might be fees on top of that private dance. There's some clubs where I can give a private dance for say $25, five of that goes to house. Um, so you have to be able to budget that and figure out who's worth their, who's worth your time, how much time you have left um, and how much you need to hustle in order to make it worth your time. Plus, a lot of people don't strip in the same town they live in for safety reasons, so you don't get followed sure. home. So, like, I used to drive um, from the villages to Claremont to dance here in Florida, um, and I would do that hour-long drive every night just to make sure um, that I would be safe. And so then you think gas and everything like that. When it comes to burlesque, you have to think about the costume. You know, you're putting thousands of dollars worth of rhinestones on, you know, a $58 corset or more, or if you're getting custom stuff done if you don't sew yourself like some of us do uh you have to think about all of those uh, and you have such a range of cosplay that you do as well and i mean that's one of the things that people always say about cosplay like it is insanely expensive some of those costumes and those components because they're hard to come by and then like that's before you put in all of the the individual work so i mean your your wardrobe alone michaela must be worth like hundreds do you have like special insurance for it like genuinely um i actually the only insurance i carry is my circus insurance to be honest um i would love to be able to insure all of my stuff but honestly after 10 years of just build up um that's why i have a range every cosplay i learned the hard way 
every cosplay I make has to be strippable. It has to be able to work. It has to be able to go to a, go to a club with me or to a gig with me in case that gig pops up. Um, so that way it makes the money back. So even if I make a cosplay for fun, like right now I'm working on Garza Whip from Book of Boba Fett. Um, and I was doing the budgeting and sewing that costume. And I realized, I was like, I need to stop working with this fabric, switch skirts so that I can strip out of this. So that this will make the money back I'm putting into it because Leiku is $200. I got lucky with some things. I sometimes have um, fans who will buy prints or they'll buy different items from me and I'll put that money towards certain costumes. But the only insurance I carry is my specialty circus insurance for my fire eating, fire fuel, fire dancing, stilt walking, and bed of nails. So that way I can always have that insurance with me. Um, any performer that does those types of gigs, they need to have it or else they get blacklisted in an ideal world for not working insured. Um, so the only insurance I have is that I would love to insure my costumes, but I burn through some of them so fast. There's no point. So that kind of, so talking about insurance and those types of things, let's talk about like the regulations around what you do, because there are a lot of crazy laws in a lot of different places. Like you can show this, you can't show that you can show this, but only on Tuesdays when the moon is full and like. <laughs> Taurus is in retrograde. You know what I mean? Like, it's insane. I feel like to do what you do, you almost need to be an attorney, right? Because to know all of the nuance, I can do this, but I can't touch you there. I can, like, how do you hold all of that in your hand, in your head? And where do you get the knowledge in the first place? Like, is there like stripper 101 class that you take where they're like, okay, here's what you need to know. Like, uh -oh. how does it work? So you can either get really lucky and your local industry will have community leaders who will educate you, um, whether it's as a free resource or you can pay them to take classes so you can pay them for their knowledge and time. Um, or you are like how I was 10 years ago where I was just thrown to the wolves and you figure the fuck out um, and hope you don't get arrested. So when it comes to both burlesque and stripping, you have to learn about blue laws. Right. Blue laws are laws that are around the femme body. Um, and what they do is, because most of them don't say uh, about male genitalia or male nipples, most of the laws say her, or they say they're all very gendered towards female bodies. Um, and those are laws that you can find um, anywhere you would look up your local sheriff's office info to find out like what you can put in your yard. You can find blue laws of what but to they do. vary from like municipality because i'm in texas and like i know like blue laws vary can literally from like city to city and the difference between one city and another is sometimes across the street like right. you could be in a strip club here walk across to a gig there and have totally different laws like yeah. that alone would be county. terrifying to me here it's by county in new orleans it's by uh by parish mm-hmm has a street difference in some cases. In LA, thankfully, I think LA is by, is just statewide, if I remember correctly when I was there last. Um, but it's either up to your, for burlesque shows, it's up to you as a producer to set up your cast for success of being like, hey, here's the blue laws, here's a link, go read. Um, or tell them like three fingers of fabric in the front, two fingers of fabric in the back, areolas have to be covered, paste, no pasties popping. Or, uh, yeah, you need to wear um, undercut bras or not, things like that. So it should be up to your producer to make sure that you are safe and set up for success. In strip clubs, you just got to find out on your own because the bartender are going to tell you. Um, so it literally just came habit for me to be able to look it up 
and just like remember, okay, this weekend I'm in Miami, I can free for all, or this weekend I'm in this county, so I have to wear full granny panties, but I can still have pasties, you know, so you just have to figure it out and always have backups in your bag. Um, and then it still happens to this day, there's still a police presence that can appear in your shows for burlesque. Like we have a troop here in Florida that actually experienced a raid. People think it's not real. It's real. Um, and that was burlesque. That wasn't even strip club work. And strip What does a raid look like? Is it like in the movies where like the cops come in like, this is a raid. And like everybody's screaming like, I can't get caught here. I'm an elected official. Like, is that real? It, it really can't happen. So what's really frustrating is uh, whether it's a uniformed police presence or not, they stand there and they be intimidating um, and they arrest performers, but never the audience. So um, for the troop here that experienced it, it was just like they came and they stood there and they waited for you to fuck up, but they didn't fuck up. So they had a police presence waiting for them to fuck it up. And then they were or like a pasty pop or a stocking ripped the wrong way. Um, you know, and in some places too, it's not just your costume. It can be how you move. For example, we all know the Rocky Horror line, God bless Lily Sincere. That is a reference to Lily Sincere, the burlesque dancer, who coming into one particular county was told that the blue laws were you cannot leave the stage with less clothes than what you go on in. And she was booked for her famous bathtub act. And so she did the whole act backwards. And there was a police presence waiting to arrest her. Um, because she did the whole act backwards legally when they arrested her, she got out scot-free and nothing happened. Um, but yeah, it's an ongoing thing around femme bodies of just like, it's kind of frustrating too, because you see drag shows where you'll see masculine performers um, never have an issue with a police presence in their shows, but it will happen in burlesque all the time. Um, but yeah, there's people just think it doesn't happen or it will never happen to them. And it's just cops show up whenever they want. <laughs> You just would think they had something better to do with their life than worry about your stockings. No. <laughs> I mean... Surely there's black be... people to shoot somewhere, right? Oh, like, like we're, we're, we're in Florida, and then you ran out of black people to harass, so now you're coming for women. Okay. Like... Yeah, I... Wow. So, yeah. have... I know that there is a lot of movement around trying to change some of the other draconian blue laws, right? Because blue laws also govern, it is all of the ways that you religion imposes itself in our society that is supposed to be separation of church and state, right? So it's also that you can't buy booze on Sunday. Um, those, all that stuff. And there's been a lot of pushback. People are like, it's eroding over time. Is that also happening in the sex trade? Or is that like, a hard line and nobody's looking to go there yet. I feel like the arts is getting more of the let's fix things. I feel like when it comes to the sex worker industry, um, I don't, I don't, I personally don't see a change. I see a lot of great nonprofits like Red Umbrella Org. Please donate to them. They're amazing. Um, they are actually actively fighting legislation for sex workers by sex workers. Um, organizations like that are great. They're trying to make more visibility, more movement. Um, then you have laws like FOSTA and SESTA that just set us backwards in the digital realm. Um, but I feel like that when it comes to the arts and freedom of expression, things that can fall under that amendment of, uh, of freedom of expression and speech, when your arts can get that freedom, that's great. But I don't feel like I'm seeing a stronger push from the average person 
Uh, and when I say the average person, I mean the the normies or civilians that are not somehow connected uh, to our industries. Yeah, so like you're connected though. You 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 come from this background where you respect it, you like it, you will be in the audience. Um, okay. I'm talking about legislators, the, um, the 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 mom that goes to church on Sundays that has never been to a burlesque show in her life, that has never heard. They just think OnlyFans is something bad people do. You know, those types of people. The live, laugh, love Karens are never going to fight for us the way that they would fight for a theater show to be able to do the full Monty. Um, so I feel like there's always going to be that weird line. There's even burlesque dancers that separate themselves from act like club strippers like us or dominatrixes and sex workers. There's always going to be that othering because there's this antiqu antique ideal of that's pushed by the patriarchy of the pick me girl of I'm better because I don't do all the things that the the Madonna whore might do. I'm better to tie into that Madonna part of the Madonna whore complex. Um, which is just something we just have to unpack as a society. And then maybe as, as the arts moves forward, it would help the sex work industry. I'm not seeing it actively. And I'm tired. <laughs> like, yes, my fetish is fighting fascism, but I'm also very tired and burnt out. <laughs> I can totally and completely understand. It's so interesting. So one of the other people I follow on the Tiki Talk is... Um, a sex worker um, from Australia, and she wears perfectly legal. And oh, do we follow the same person? I think I, th I think I follow this person as well. Okay, sorry, go on. She has rainbow hair. She's the pregnant. She is fabulous. Yes. yes. Okay. So we both follow her. So you're familiar with the story. But it is it's so interesting. And like I know that there is a growing trend on platforms like TikTok, on platforms like Insta, for people who are in the sex trade to be like not a freak, not sad that I'm doing this. Right. It's not like the myth that you've been told that I was down on my luck. The only thing I could do was go to this. Like, that is not how this happened. This is an active choice that I make. There is great reasons for it. I think, I hope that we are starting now that battle, you know, to change hearts and minds about this topic. And People, because it is easier to connect with people from very different walks of life than it would have been 10 years ago, right? I'm hopeful, cautiously yeah. optimistic. I want to be hopeful. I do. Um, I also, I also like think it's interesting to me. So my husband is English and we spent 10 and a half years in England. And mm -hmm. while we were over there, like burlesque is a thing, mm -hmm. but it's like, we took my father, we took the whole family to a burlesque show and like cabaret night for Christmas one year. So like my father-in-law and his new wife and my brother-in-law and his wife and me and my husband all went and like had a booth and it was amazing and we had a great time. But like, nobody thought that was weird. Nobody was like, you took your father-in-law to a stripper? And we're like, no. We took our father-in-law to a performance in which people happen to be wearing less clothing than they are in other performances sometimes. But right. like, we took him to see live art, not anything else. So it's so interesting to me that like, there's this huge cultural difference even between like the UK, which is not known for being open-minded and forward-thinking. Well, they also had a huge burlesque and rockabilly revival before America got theirs. Mm -hmm. So they were actually, they were a good 
20 years ahead of us on the burlesque scene um here in america we we had our like rockabilly psychabilly vintage and burlesque revival um a little bit after them so I, th I feel like they they've had it around a long time to have a good standard industry over See, there. like one of the things i love about it is and i think you will appreciate this as a fellow retro girl like it's an old-fashioned supper club, you know, like a Doris Day movie supper club. You come in, you're dressed up, you pass your coat to the doorman, you go and you sit down at your table, the show starts, everybody goes, ooh, ah, and then, like, you know, you have a three-course dinner, and then there's dancing, and then everybody goes home. Like, that's, like, that's an amazing experience. And I don't know what happened to supper clubs in this country, but I really wish they would come back. Like, not pandemic notwithstanding. Hun? I was told that they were not possible. I wanted to open one. I wanted to open one and I don't have the capital. People like us don't have the capital. <laughs> this is, yeah. This is the odd. Somebody said to me, like, oh, I think that'd be great. You should take this in Austin, right? Like, if ever there was going to be a burlesque supper club in Texas, it was going to be in Austin. And yet, no, no, there is none. Nope. Uh, there's a lot of clubs and venues that will host burlesque shows here in America. I think the closest one you'll have to a supper club like that feel um, is in New York. There's a great one called Dwayne Park. Um, and it's where all, it's like, that's the, the pinnacle of all of us dream to one day perform there. Um, it's this great supper club, two-story place set up in that very 1950s look, and it's constant, um, burlesque, like, every week. Um, and then there's places like the Slipper and things like that. Pretty much they start out as nightclubs that mold their way into finding that that's their niche, and they start doing just as just vaudeville shows. I would love to open one here in Florida. If anybody wants to wants to invest in me, let me know. Um, it's got 20 mil bird in a hole in their pocket. Like. <laughs> Strippers can't get low and someone invest in my idea. I feel I like, like Kickstarter coming on, Michaela. That's um, what we got to do. Kickstarter. Right? It, it's, hard, it's hard to get the capital for that because the people who are in our industries and scenes, we're starving artists. Or we have day jobs that we can't, you know, take away from. Like, you're in HR. You can't take away from that to go 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 open a supper club even if you had the capital so it's because that takes time um the people that have the time and the artistic drive to do it and this the visualization it's they can't get the capital and they or they can't get loans it just sucks <laughs> so this is how like i now i have just a dream of opening a supper club with you like that's now my new thing that i feel like we should just go and do yeah absolutely like next step open a supper club i feel like that's that's perfect but so you talked a little bit about like the capital and like you can't get a loan that is something like i i was wondering about like is that is that the case like are you self-employed do you work for a troop like how do people because then you so hairdressers often are nominally employed by a salon, even if they have to pay rent in order to help with that, right? So they are WG employee, et cetera. Is the same true in in the sex trade and, and performance and um, stripping industry and all of that? Um, so there's different ways. If you're part of a troupe, 
-hmm. you may um even paying you because there's a lot of troops that will not even pay people more than tip split um if you're in troop and you are getting paid uh you are probably doing independent contractor work when it comes to the strip club and sex industry you are an independent contractor and you go in and you the paperwork you fill out is because it's up to you to pay your taxes and everything i use quickbooks because or before quickbooks i used to have just this shoebox in my car full of receipts um <laughs> So pretty much you have, we pay taxes like everyone else. Um, but the problem is because everything we do is mostly cash. Well, now we're mostly digital, but uh, thank you, Panini. Um, Panorama, pterodactyl, panacotta. Um, so we, we, um, we mo mostly function in cash and it's hard to build credit. It's hard to do these things if you're mo functioning mostly in, in cash and tips or a venue is just paying you in a hard $100 bill. Um, so you have to keep track of that yourself and prove that you're self-employed and prove that you're doing losses and profit and things like that. So um, there's a lot of performers, too, out there that haven't been taught that they can, whether it's for strip club sex work, even online digital sex work. People are only now learning that if they did an OnlyFans, they had to pay taxes th this year. So, but it's always been there. It's just no one's told you yet, um, or you've not figured it out yourself. So um, it's really difficult to um, function as an underground industry, whether it's as an artist or as a sex worker, um, to maneuver and where everyone else in normal society that has nine to five jobs, you know, they can prove their work you're just fine you can't prove well i had a good season and then a bad season here's my stuff um so i have to use quickbooks um because i lose track <laughs> is there a burlesque season um, like is yeah, there a there... time of year that is like this is our peak season so like for recruitment right like i can plan that the week between christmas and new year ain't nothing happening that week because no hiring manager is there to make a decision everybody else is bunked off that's cool is there a season, like, do you have anything that is cyclical or seasonal with you guys, or is it just literally every day is a crapshoot? <laughs> um, it's pretty much every day is a crapshoot. However, um, any time that you would go out for a drink and celebrate with your friends a holiday, I'm mm -hmm. a gig. Um, I've not, it wasn't until the, the pandemic that I even had holidays with my loved one um or with my partner you know like i hadn't gone to uh i hadn't gone to a holiday party um or even halloween this past pandemic was the first time i got to give candy to trick-or-treaters in my entire career um because these are these are prime gigs this is when we're hired by event, event people this is when we're hired by venues and do an event so anytime that there's an excuse for people to go out and drink i'll either be in the strip club or i will be doing um well in the before times at least uh, I would be in the strip club or I would be on stage at a gig. Um, even things like May the 4th, because it's Star Wars Day, that's mm -hmm. a gig night. Um, so anytime that, you know, this past weekend is what, St. Patrick's Day? In the before times, this would have been, so we would have been in the strip club wearing all neon green, or we would have been at the burlesque show wearing all green rhinestones. It's just, it's always, the listeners always work there in the before times, at least there was. So you mentioned your loved one. So let's talk about dating and stripping because the movies tell us that those two things cannot go together, that people are like, I don't want you doing that. That's my body. Other people can't see it. 
Um, I cannot imagine anybody that you putting up with that from anybody ever, Michaela, like you personally, you'd be like, I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> this is mine. And I get to show it to whoever I want to go away. Um, but does it make that, how do you have that first conversation when you meet somebody that you're like, oh, you, you seem nice. And I like, I'd like your pants off kind of way. Um, and they're like, so what do you do? And you're like, you know, I take off my clothes. Let's try that now. I mean, how does that conversation go? Um, so I'm, I'm polyamorous and queer, so I have a primary partner and there's a whole other thing about that, um, that I live with and then, you know, other dating. So I have found that a, I'm too easy to Google, um, because Mark, uh, with this partner that I've been with the longest, this was the first time they met me at a con. They'd seen me on stage. You know, this okay. was the first time, um, even though we were friends from before I didn't have a career, um, this was the first time, like, uh, I had had a time of being like upfront, here's what I do. If you don't like it, you're cordially invited to fuck off. Um, this is my income. This is how I do this. I have lost relationships. I have had people try to be like, well, you need to give this up if you want to, you need to give this up. This is not, this is not for you. And I've decided, um, and I, I have lost those relationships and it just, it depends on where you. Oh no, recording stuff. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Oh, it just froze for a second. So, um, yeah, hang on. I always, so my husband is editing. So to help him find the place to do the okay. editing, I have a secret word. So, um, banana, banana hammock. And so now he'll know to come in, like do some editing there. You're fine. All right. One of my safe words too. <laughs> it's yeah. It was my safe word when I was <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh, I remember one time it was Mr. Mistopheles and then cats came out and went, nope, we can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. So your current partner obviously knew, or primary partner knew from the get-go. I would imagine that you get a lot of people who it's fine when it's you, but they don't want to introduce you to mom or they want a different story when they go talk to mom. And I would imagine and I would that you imagine. tell them to go find a lake and jump in it. But I don't know if that's true because moms are complicated things. So how do you handle that? And if you don't want to talk about your own experience, we can talk about like other people's experiences that you're aware of. I was very nervous. Um, I actually didn't think uh, because I'm also coming from a traumatized place where when I... Um, when my sister found my fan page, I was outed to my family as a queer stripper. And as the queer stripper, I was labeled the, uh, the abominable whore and I was disowned by my family. So that's another story for another time. So I come from a place of knowing that this is not to go well. <laughs> so I was like, you know, we can just tell them I'm a receptionist. Uh, we can tell them I'm a bartender. We can like, but I, I feel like I got very lucky with this particular partner who was just like, oh, no, I tell them you're an entertainer and they, they find you on Google. I don't, um, if they have a problem with it, oh, well, uh, that's my relationship with them. So I was kind of like, oh, okay. Oh. 
Okay. I became Beaker the first time I met them. I was like, meep, meep, meep the whole time. Um, I, I feel like um, not everyone's story can be the same. A lot of people can't tell their partners. A lot of people can't tell their, their partners' families. Um, I think, I think mine are, are, we just don't talk about it. It's an elephant in the room. Um, Your work is Bruno. I am Bruno. I am Bruno. I live in the walls. Um, <laughs> I went into that movie thinking I would be a, a Louise. No, I'm Bruno. Um, so we don't talk about burlesque Bruno um, or stripper Bruno. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's a new, like, that's a new skit you could do would be the Bruno strip. Like, if I wasn't white, yes. Um, but <laughs> Oh my god. I outsourced all my confidence to Fernando. Um <laughs> I would totally live in the walls. Um that's just some feral raccoon energy I relate to on a spiritual level. Um but yeah, I think it's it's a difficult conversation, it's difficult to to traverse, of course. Um it just depends on where they land on the funding feminism one-on-one to the might be related to Nazi scale, you know, like you have to figure it out. So let's say you have a sister, right? Let's say she breeds and she makes tiny humans and the tiny humans get less tiny and they call Auntie Michaela the blasphemer. And they say, Auntie Michaela, I really feel like stripping is for me. And this is what I want to be when I grow up. How do you feel? And what would you say? In this situation, it's not applicable because they're not allowed to know I exist. Uh, but if if anyone, let's change the banana. Um, if anyone can, if anyone came to me and asked me, "Hey, I want to be a stripper. This is what I want to do when I grow up." I would definitely say, um, "Please do your research. Please listen to how some of these have been the most violent and dangerous nights of my life." And think about and the consequences that I've had to face, and think about if that's a journey still for you. Um, I would gladly support you if that was your route, but I do understand that it's not for everyone. I would definitely search, find out what's safe for you, reach out to other people in the industry. Um, if anybody wants to get into any industry where you take your clothes off for mo money as a femme presenting person, no matter your gender, as a femme presenting person, more so if you're marginalized as POC or queer or anything else, um, definitely think about the safety factor and how the internet is forever. And think about where your goals tie into that. If you're like me and your goal was to always just be a, an entertainer or an artist somehow and be ridiculous the rest of your life and live your genuine self, cool, it works. If you have goals like, well, one day I want to, you know, be a manager or a boss of company and they won't good on that or one day i want to have a, like a family and kids um you might have to put that on hold or find someone that can get over what you've done in the past there's always going to be that stigma there and you have to be prepared to deal with that stigma and if that ties into your goals cool if it doesn't tie into your goals or your goals change down the road it's just something you're going to have to learn how to maneuver but definitely do your research first <laughs> I like that. I like, I like that that's such a balanced way that you're not saying no, like I do this and I'm fabulous. And therefore people who do this are innately fabulous. Like I love the re the realism of like, know what this is getting into. And if this is still waters you want to swim in, come on in. 
So I, I think right. that that's as fair as anybody could possibly hope to be. So I think that's great. So I have to ask, you have so many amazing costumes and so many amazing images. And I, I will tell you, I spent a not small amount of time fangirling on your page because you're ridiculously hot and your clothes are amazing. Of all of your costumes, what is the one that you feel sexiest in? Because oh, um, there's a lot of reasons to like <laughs> something, right? But what is the one that you're like, I am on fire because this is what I am wearing right now? Um, I suffer. Okay. So, so I'm actually a very insecure person and I, uh, I suffer from body dysmorphia. So my relationship with my body is still a long journey. Okay. Um, so I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, uh, but um, I do good self-awareness. Yeah. Like I'm, it's therapy. It's a journey. Um, I feel, I can tell you what makes the most money. I can sure. tell you what the audience is like the best. I can tell you what took the most hours. I can tell you what, um, I can tell you what looks best on camera for, I can tell you what sold well. Um, I think, I think the thing I have the most fun in though, I think it's more of to me, like, what do I have more fun in than whether I feel sexiest? Cause I'm, okay. I think that's the better choice for me. Okay. I think it would definitely be, um, Fire pasties, because I just love the sheer terror of everyone in the front row when you light your boobs on fire. Um, <laughs> like, I've made a grown man squirm because I've had my my pasties on fire and I pulled a railroad nail out of my nose and he was just like ready to throw up in the front row. It's fabulous. Um, I feel confident in that because the entertainment value and the fun for me because I enjoy fire. Um, this is gonna sound really funny. Uh, I feel really good and hilarious in my Connie the Hormone Monstrous burlesque costume. Um, if you're a fan of Big Mouth, Connie is the sex-educating <laughs> burlesque, or not burlesque, sex-educating um, hormone monster that is, like, talking to everyone as they go through puberty. Um, I made that costume um, by hand, and it was ridiculous because I broke a sewing machine on it. Um, so I made that costume by hand and I feel like that is the most fun I can have in a costume is this crazy furry monster telling people, you know, that you need a bubble bath, like just doing all the crazy fun things that she does. Um, I really enjoy being in that costume. Um, I also like, I feel, sometimes I feel sexy in stilts, I think, because I'm at a distance that you can't touch me. <laughs> I'm like a cat. You can you can be in the room with me, but don't touch me. <laughs> um, so I feel sometimes I feel good in stilts because then I'm at a distance where people like are scared to be near you um, until you get the drunks. But I guess that might be it. I don't know. We'll see how I feel when I finish Garza Whip. I might feel better as a Twilight as an alien. We'll see. So if somebody goes to burlesque show. And they yes. love it. And they want to give like the best compliments. I think because people get weird about sexy things, they often are like, I don't even fucking know what to say to the lady that was just very sexy. What is the best way to like, it gets them right in the feels. Like if you really want to compliment 
a burlesque performer, what is the best way to do that? Do you say um, you're hot as hell? Do you say, like, what do you say? Um, if you want to get them right in the feels, I would say find something particular about their act that you okay. enjoyed to stay in your mind. The thing that you will go tell other people about their show. So if you're going to compliment them, hey, don't be scared to give us compliments, um, especially if you're not being creepy about it. Obviously, respect consent. <laughs> Everyone's here to have a consensual good time. Fair um, words, but not touches. <laughs> don't touch me. Um because that costs more and you can't afford it right now um so i would definitely find something their act that touched you in a way or entertained you or made you laugh that you will remember to tell other people that's the thing that tells them that they did good in their act so when i have someone tell me oh my god the the tauntaun you did in the star wars show or oh my god this the the talking vagina act that you did in this one traditional burlesque show like that with, with the feather that was so funny with the feather you know things like that um those are really nice because it feels like you paid attention you got the story from beginning middle and end of my acts or things like that um if you just want to tell someone that you thought they were sexy and they're okay with it i feel like are you, are you cool for me to tell you something and just tell you you were very sexy is that okay your act was very sexy it was very sexy i do that all the time with other performers i'll be backstage and i'll be like can I tell you something? And I'll be like, like a little, little Muppet. I'll be like, hey, can I give you a compliment? You are so pretty. And then I'll hide and scurry back into my corner. Um, so you can do that. It's okay. It's normal. Um, but I definitely feel like if you find something that you latch onto and give them a compliment about that, they'll love it. Um, but I also like the, the compliments that come from internal working through like that person that told me hey i saw myself in you on stage you gave me permission to feel sexy cry ugly cry the whole way home whole way home every red light someone would have looked at my car and just seen bubbles just gross of like i did a good job today i did a good job i driving home like so i definitely feel like that definitely perks up if you tell a performer that they're they did their job some way in your compliment that'll stay with them that'll keep them high for the rest of the week <laughs> i love that okay well we are out of time so what have i not asked you that i should have done keeping in mind that all of the links to your fabulousness will clearly be in the show notes so what else do people need to know um i i think just uh just check out my links uh come see me in shows um i don't know when i don't remember when this airs but on march 26th in jacksonville florida i'm in a show called pasties for perez uh it's a nonprofit fundraiser with the blessing and adoration of george perez the comic book artist for marvel dc comics um so i'll be performing in that and we'll be raising money for charity um and then uh, anytime you go to Barnes and Noble or you want to go to my links down there, you can buy a book called Policing Muses. Um, it is all about how laws around femme bodies affect the arts, cosplay, and strippers like me. So, um, if you want some fun, educational, 150-page rant, um, <laughs> and you want to get angry and throw things against a wall, feel free to read uh, Policing Muses, <laughs> A History of Pacey's and Merkins. But otherwise, I'll see you online and we'll see you in shows. <laughs>
I love it. Thank you so much, Michaela. This has been amazing. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, thank you. This was a pleasure. I am very honored to be here. You've been listening to Hey, I Want Your Job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.